Good morning. If y'all would, take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 18. John 18. As we uh, come near to the end of our study of the Gospel of John, uh, we'll be in John 18 this morning, and then by the next couple of weeks we'll be uh, done with John and, and moving on to another study. But for this morning we're in John 18 as we continue walking through this Gospel that God has given us to show us who Jesus is, that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we'd have life in His name. And so when we come to John 18, what we see is not such a happy picture, not such a, a, a joyful picture as far as uh, when we look at the human condition and when we look at who people really are and we look at the, the way that humanity has failed. I, I, I want us to first look at the first seven or so verses together as we, as we see the setting and then the next little bit we're going to talk about the, the failure of humanity. That sounds like a nice uplifting topic for a Sunday morning, doesn't it? Uh, but, so let's start in John chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the book Kedron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And so just to give us a setting of what is going on, remember last week we looked at John 17 and we saw that Jesus had been praying over his disciples and also praying for us. Well, after he finishes praying, they cross the, the creek, they go across the, the creek there, and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane, as you know, is where Jesus is praying, and as he's praying, he's praying so earnestly and deeply that he sweats drops of blood and grief and, and, and anxiety of about what, about over what's about to happen. And so this, John doesn't record for us everything that goes on in the Garden. We know from the other Gospel accounts that Jesus had asked, his disciples to stay awake and to pray with him and they kept falling asleep on him and he kept coming back and saying, guys, wake up. Why couldn't you just stay awake a little bit longer? And so this is what's going on uh, in this verse 1. Then we come to verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met with his, there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests, and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And so we need to understand here that what we have going on is a lynch mob. This is not the way you arrest someone who's actually guilty. This is the way you do away with someone you don't like, but you're afraid of what everybody's going to say when you do it. And so Judas shows up with a, a, a bunch of Roman soldiers and the people from the chief priests and elders, the religious leaders of the day, they know they ought not be doing this, but they don't care. They're going to do it anyway. So they show up to arrest Jesus, this man who'd been preaching uh, hope and peace and healing people. They show up to arrest him with soldiers. And so this is the scene going on here. Judas, one of the men that Jesus had called friend, one of the 12 disciples that Jesus had chosen and had walked with for the last three and a half years, leads these men up to him uh, to, to, to arrest him. And so it's not a, a great seen so far. And we come to verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And so here we see something of the character of Jesus and we begin to see what's really going on. Jesus is not caught off guard. He's not all of a sudden afraid because Judas shows up with a bunch of men that want to kill him. In fact, John tells us he knows everything that's about to happen. He knows what is about to happen to him. When he comes forward and says, Whom do you seek? This is not Jesus running away. This is Jesus meeting these men head on. 
He's not afraid. We, we learn from the other gospel accounts that he has committed himself to the Father's will and to the Father's plan to see us uh, redeemed through his blood, through his death on the cross. Jesus knows exactly what's about to take place. And so he comes forward and he says, Who are y'all looking for? What are what, what y'all looking for? Who y'all, who y'all after? And so we come to verse 5. Then, G, then they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And so when they say, we're looking for Jesus in Nazareth, Jesus doesn't run away, he doesn't hide, he doesn't try to pretend like it is not him. In fact, he says, I am he. I'm the one you're looking for. In the Greek, there's just ego of me. There's only two words here. I am. It's the Old Testament name for God. Jesus is declaring to them who he really is. He's saying, I am. I am God. He's, he's declaring to them that he is God. In fact, what he is saying is, is, I'm exactly who you're looking for, even if you don't realize it. But then, as he says this, you notice how the people respond. You notice what these men do. They drew back and fell to the ground. The power of Jesus simply declaring his identity to these men is enough to knock them to the ground. We want to see that the power of, uh, of humanity. Here you go. Jesus simply saying, I am, is enough to knock these hateful men to the ground. Jesus simply declaring his true identity is enough to cause them to draw back and fall away, to fall on the ground. The only way we could ever be in the presence of of Almighty God is through His mercy and His grace. And here we see just how weak we really are in His presence and how strong Jesus truly is. And so we come to verse 7 here. So we ask them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am He. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. And so Jesus' response to these guys is, I already told y'all who I am. Who y'all looking for? What are you looking for? What, who's the guy you're looking for? And he, they say, well, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he's like, I already told you. That's who I am. But you notice this next part here. He says, if you seek me, let these men go. Jesus says, your problem is with me, not these guys. You know, we thought that, that our, our favorite movie heroes came up with that, that line, right? You know, I'm the one you're after. Let them go. You know, let, let her go. Don't, you take me instead. That's what Jesus is saying to these men. He's saying, don't hurt my boys. Don't hurt my disciples. Take me. He's saying, take me in their place. Don't do anything with them. We're here, already here. We're seeing a picture of what Jesus is going to do on the cross. By him going, he is protecting his disciples. By Jesus going to the cross, He is protecting us. He is going in our place. And so here we have a picture of our Savior who cares more for us than He does for His own self. He, he gives Himself up for us. We have the, a picture of His power and a picture also of the weakness of those who try to take Him. And so let's, let's walk through this because as we walk through Jesus' arrest, his betrayal, and even his trial. We see all the ways that people fail. We see all the ways that humanity fails. And so the first, first part here that I want us to look at is human strength. 
Guys, I want to talk about the fact that human strength will fail us. We, we take a lot of stock in. We, we take a lot of pride and courage and strength. Take a lot of a lot of strength, a lot of courage from human willpower in America, right? Good old American willpower. And, and so sometimes when we come to struggles, when we come to trials in our life, we think that if we just try harder, if we just grit our teeth more, if we just work a little harder, we can get through it. And it's a lesson we have to learn over and over and over again that the battle that we face cannot be won through brute force. It cannot be won through sheer willpower. We see this in Simon Peter. Look at verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And so you got to have, you got, man, you got to love Peter, right? His mindset is, I'm going to fix this. If Jesus won't stand up for himself, I will. Somebody's got to be brave here. Peter is brave. I, I mean, sometimes we think that he ends up running away because he's afraid. He's not afraid. He shows courage. Remember, Jesus is being arrested not by a bunch of farmers with pitchforks. He's being arrested by a detachment of Roman soldiers. And so you have Peter and this little band of dudes standing around, and then you have, Jesus, uh, you have Judas along with all these Roman soldiers. Peter pulls out his sword and goes to hacking. This is not the act of a man who's a coward. He shows a lot of courage here, doesn't he? I mean, it's not like he's afraid of a fight. Sometimes we want to pretend like Peter runs away later because he's afraid of a fight. He pulls out his sword and he goes after this guy right in front of him. We know he's not much of a swordsman because he cuts off the guy's ear. Right? I mean, like if you're going after somebody who's trying to kill you, you're going to go for the ear? No, he's just a really bad aim. <laughs> like, dude, you cut off my ear. He's like, yeah, well, I was aiming for your head. You know, like, I'm just really bad at this. He's a fisherman. He's not a soldier. But he doesn't care. He, he, I mean, you can almost feel the testosterone flowing through this guy. Like, he is going to solve this problem that's in front of him. He's going to take care of these Roman soldiers for Jesus. Jesus, just stand back. I got it under control. And, of course, he does not have it under control. What Peter does not understand is that's not this kind of fight. This is not the kind of fight that Peter is facing. It's a fight that cannot be won by simply uh, being stronger than the person you're facing. It cannot be win won by willpower. And so Jesus, he bends over, he grabs the guy's ear, and he reattaches it. I mean, I'm sort of picturing, you know, shaking it off, getting it cleaned up, and putting it back on the guy's face. But, but so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus says to Peter, You don't understand, man. You don't understand what's going on here. I've been trying to tell you you don't understand what's going on here. You need to listen to me. He says, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? What's the cup that Jesus is talking about here? It's the cup of God's wrath. It's the cup of paying for the sins of us. It's a cup of taking our punishment. Jesus is going to drink the cup that we should have drank, the punishment we should have had. That is not something we can face. That is not something we can overcome by our strength. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We can't pay God back by simply being strong. We can't make ourselves better by simple willpower. It is impossible. And Peter's beginning to learn this. Look at verse 12. 
So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So, so Jesus is taken to Annas, the, 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 the father-in-law of the bad guy's house. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Like he's the guy who is behind the scenes trying to get Jesus killed. So Annas and Caiaphas are working together to get Jesus killed. That's their goal. And so he's taken to this guy's house. Look at verse 15. So Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. And so John here is writing, and he's telling us, hey, I knew the high priest. I, I had him in. It's all about who you know. I was an important guy, and so I let Peter come in as well. I went and told the, the, uh, the servant girl to let uh, Peter in. And so Peter is allowed to come in and watch everything taking place. Remember, the high priest is the religious ruler of the day. He's the guy who's in charge of things. He's the guy who Jesus is standing in front of during the trial. <coughs> Peter is allowed to come in and sort of stand out in the courtyard and watch. And so we come to verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. And so remember, Peter has just pulled out a sword and tried to take a guy's head off to defend Jesus. Jesus says, don't do that. And so Jesus is arrested and taken away. And here he is. He's standing outside in the courtyard watching everything take place in Jesus' life, watching Jesus be put on trial. And the servant girl, she would have been a teenager, comes and says, hey, you don't follow that guy too, do you? And Peter says, who are you talking about? No, I do not. I don't follow him. I don't know what you mean, lady. Like, like get, get away from me. I, I don't follow Jesus. Peter, who'd been so brave earlier, all of a sudden finds himself, finds his strength beginning to weaken and finds, him, finds his strength failing. Earlier, Jesus had told him, in fact, he told all the disciples, he said, guys, y'all are about to all run away. Just a couple of hours before this, he'd said, listen, I'm about to be betrayed into the hands of evil men, and when I am, y'all are all going to run for the hills. You're all going to just run away from me. And, and Peter's response was, not me. These other guys, yeah, they'll probably run away. But yeah, they're, they're, they're afraid, but not me, Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Here we see the first time. Strong Peter is beginning to be weakened. Here we see the first strike. Look at, look, skip down with me if you would to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And so here's Peter's chance to redeem himself. He's got a chance to prove that the first time that, that that girl took him off guard, that you know he just wasn't ready to answer the question yet. Here's his chance. He's going to prove that he's really as strong as he said he was. But no, instead of proving that he's as strong as he said he was, he denies Jesus the second time. Then look at verse 26. One of the servants of the high priest, 
a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. That's a nice little piece of information, right? This guy's cousin asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus looks across the courtyard, and, and they, his and Peter's eyes meet, and Peter realizes what he's done, and so he runs away weeping. His strength failed him in the end. He was not strong enough to take everything that was going on. He wasn't strong enough in the end to watch them as they, as they beat Jesus and as they accused Jesus. He wasn't strong enough to watch and realize that, oh, wait, me and my buddies are probably next. But I, but I think what he really wasn't strong enough for was the confusion that was setting in. So I, I, Peter, he does not seem like a guy who's afraid of a fight. What he's afraid of is not being in control. When you walk through the Gospels, what you see is a guy who's constantly trying to tell Jesus what to do. Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and when I get there, they're going to kill me. And then I'll be raised again in three days. Peter says, nuh-uh, you got us. You got, I got your back. Not as long as I'm around Jesus. And again, he had told him, you guys are going to run away and hide. And Peter says, not me. I'm in control. And then in the garden... Jesus says, take me, but leave these guys. Leave these guys alone. Peter says, uh-uh. He pulls out his sword and he goes to hacking. Why is that? Because Peter really believes that how things work out are dependent upon how strong he is. They depend upon what he wants to happen. His strength doesn't fail because he's afraid of fighting. His strength fails because he realizes he's not the one in control. He realizes he actually can't do anything. He is finally beginning to understand what Jesus has been trying to tell him. He's not near as strong as he thinks he is. And, and I imagine there are so many of us who find ourselves, I know I find myself in this place more often than I would like to admit, the fact that I continually forget that the battle that we face is not a battle that can be won by human strength. It cannot be won by human willpower. Guys, we can't make ourselves better. We can't pay for our sins. We cannot set things right between us and God. Only Jesus can. But Peter continually thought that he could keep Jesus from the cross. He continually thought that he could make things happen the way he wanted them to happen, and he couldn't. And when he couldn't, his faith failed, his strength failed, and he ran away. And that's what happens to us. We think we can make God do what we want Him to do. We think we can guide our lives the way we want them to be guided. And then when God doesn't answer our prayer the way we want Him to answer it, when He allows things to happen we don't want Him to allow to happen, all of a sudden our strength fails. All of a sudden we run away. All of a sudden all that talk we had, we realize it's just talk. And we have to be reminded again that it is not up to us. We are not the ones whose strength matters. Peter had been taught that over and over and over again. But it wasn't until after Jesus had went to the cross and rose again and sent his Holy Spirit that he finally began to get it, that he finally began to understand it. And so maybe this morning, you're in a place where, you know what, you, you thought you had it all figured out. You thought you had everything under control and everything sort of fell apart on you. Ask yourself, is it because you were relying on your strength? Were you expecting God to do what you wanted Him to do because you have the strength to make it happen? Or are you actually relying on Christ? And so here we see that human strength fails us. We also see that human religion fails us. Look at verse 19. Go back up to verse 19 with me if you would. 
the high priest and questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And so Jesus is brought in in front of the high priest and they begin to question Jesus about the people who followed him. They begin to question Jesus about the things that he was teaching. Here we, we see basically the representative of the human religion of the day. They had taken God's word and they twisted it and made it to be what they wanted it to be. We see what the value of basically of adhering to a bunch of rules and standards that we've made up. That's what these guys had decided to start doing. The truth is, is that human religion, that systems of worship and morality set up by humanity are always going to be flawed. They're always going to be incomplete and they are going to end up being systems of slavery instead of the tool of freedom. I, I mean, think about this, guys. Compare the religious people in the Gospels with Jesus. The Pharisees, for example, they were slaves of the law. They were not servants of God. They only cared about checking off their boxes and having people think that they were good. I mean, that's what Jesus said constantly about them. They didn't care about serving God. They only cared about getting God to do what he want, they wanted Him to do. And you have these other people here. You have the ruling religious people. They didn't even care about that. They just wanted to make sure they kept control and kept their place of privilege. They were not wearing WWJD bracelets, right? I mean, they did not like Jesus. And it's because Jesus refused to make much of them. He constantly pointed out to the people how their religion was not from God, how they had made up all these extra rules and all these extra standards simply to make themselves look good. And so they, they, they began to question Jesus, and they hated Jesus because he did not make much of them. And so look at verse 20. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And so these men, instead of actually being open and honest about what Jesus had taught, is trying to, they're trying to get him to, so that they can twist his words. They're trying to get him to talk so that they can twist his words back on him. And Jesus is like, guys, I've not hidden anything I've said. I've not hidden any of my teachings. Do you want to know what I teach? Go ask the people who've been listening. Look at verse 22. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is this how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, uh, If I, what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But what, if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Jesus is like, I, I'm just keeping it real. Like, I mean, what do you mean? I just told you the truth. And then verse 24 tells us, And it's, then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Then skip down to verse 28. Here we see the, the end of this human religion. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So, so to understand what's going on here, we have to understand a little bit about the background of their culture. I understand a little bit about what, that, what God had set up for them. That Passover is on, on the horizon. Passover is just days away here. And so they want to be able to eat the Passover meal, this festival, the celebration of the fact that God had set the Jewish people free. Well, the thing is, is you can't eat the Passover meal if you are dirty, if you're spiritually unclean. And for them to enter a Gentile's house is to make them spiritually unclean. And so they don't want to enter into Pilate's house because if they enter into Pilate's house, then they're unclean and they can't eat the Passover meal. 
They see that as being worse than what they are doing right now, which is delivering an innocent man over for murder. You see, this is the way that human religion works. Human religion is more based on and more focused on tradition and ritual than what is actually true. Human religion doesn't care about what, who you actually are. Human religion only cares about what people think. These men only cared what everybody, about what everybody saw. They only cared about whether or not people would see them walk into the governor's mansion or the governor's house. They didn't care about the fact that they were in the dead of night trying to get this man killed who had preached truth, who had preached peace and grace and healed people and fed people. As long as nobody knew about that, they felt like they could be okay. Human religion fails, guys. We can never be good enough on our own. It doesn't matter what the people around you think. Human religion leads you to a place where you would rather go in the dark of night to arrest the Savior of the world, this innocent man, than go into some guy's house. Ask yourself this morning, what are you following? Are you more worried about what people think or what God sees? Are you more worried about how people view you or actually doing what God has called you to do? Human religion falls short. Who cares what people think? Who cares what the people around you think if you are not serving the Lord? Everybody in the world may think you're the best Christian that has ever walked the face of the planet. But if you're not actually walking with the Lord, none of it matters. Human religion is worthless in that moment. Not only is human religion worthless, so is human government. They bring this man to Pilate. And you, you, sometimes we think that our strength will get us through. Sometimes we think religion will get us through. And sometimes we think government or the people over us will get, get us through. And so they bring Jesus to this guy named Pilate. And they, they say, hey, we want to kill this man. And he's like, no, I don't have anything to do with y'all. Y'all go kill him. And they're like, no, we can't kill him. And so there's this back and forth between them. And so in verse 33... If you, if you will, well, let's look at verse 30. Let, I can't skip this part. I'm sorry. Go back up to verse 29. I was going to try to skip it for time's sake, but I just can't. Verse 29. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. So they're avoiding his question completely. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Then we come to verse 32. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Here's this reminder from God. Jesus, God is in control of this whole thing. It may look like these people are or that Pilate is, but ultimately Jesus goes to the cross because that's where Jesus wanted to go. He's not led there by these sinful men. Yes, they're part of the plan, but ultimately God is in control of all this. It may appear that these other men are, but ultimately God is. This is all part of his plan. And so now let's look at verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? <clears throat> your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And so Pilate's like, it, Pilate's this great picture of human government, just trying to pass the buck, you know, just trying to get out of trouble. And he says, man, are you really a king? 
And Jesus is like, who told you this? You know, what, is this something you came to on your own or are other people telling you? He's like, I, what are you talking about? I'm not a Jew. Your people are the ones who are wanting to kill you. And then he says, how did you make them so mad? What have you done? How did you get these people so mad that they want to kill you? And so, when we come to verse 36, we see what Jesus actually thinks about human government. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And here we really see it all come together. Jesus' point is, yes, I'm a king, but not the kind of king you mean. His point is, is that his rule and his power is not based on the, the power of this world. It is based on a divine power, the divine rule. It's, a, it's not a created power. It is God's power. In fact, the word that he uses here is origin. His kingdom is, does not have its origin in this world. Jesus is not depending on any man to be king. He's not depending on any man to have power. His power comes from within him because he is God. The kingdoms of this world uh, rely on human strength to gain and keep power. That's why he says, that, hey, if my kingdom was like your kingdom, I'd have to be out there fighting battles. He's like, but my kingdom's not that way. The kingdom Jesus is over is not from this world. He's the one who made this world. His kingdom doesn't come from this world. This world comes from Him. And so when we put our faith and our trust in Him, then we're not putting our faith and trust in anything in this world. We're putting our faith and trust in the one who made all things. And so that's the kingdom that Jesus is over and the kingdom that he invites us into. Look at verse 37. <coughs> then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Jesus invites Pilate. He says, Listen, man. You're saying I'm a king. Yes, I'm a king. I was born in this world to be the king, but a different kind of king than you're thinking of. Jesus was born in this world to bear witness to the truth, and whoever is of the truth follows him. He's like, Pilate, you should follow me. I can offer you truth. And Pilate's answer is, what is truth? In other words, I really don't have anything else to say to you. And this is really the ultimate end of human government. He just shoves it off to somebody else to deal with. In the second part of this verse, he says, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. And so if anything had been just in this, this whole ordeal, they would have set him free, but they don't set him free. So we come to verse 39. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then verse 40. They cried out again. Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was the robber. So Pilate, because he was afraid of what would happen if he does the right thing, allows popular opinion to decide for him. It gives the people a choice. Jesus, the innocent man, guilty of nothing but preaching uh, goodness and grace and mercy, or Barabbas, the one who's guilty of actually trying to overthrow the Roman government, who's a murderer and a thief. Well, who do people choose? Well, they choose the murderer and the thief. They choose the one who is actually guilty over the one who is innocent. And so here we see human failure is complete. They have the opportunity to, to ask for Jesus, who is innocent, to be set free, but they choose the guilty one over him. Guys, 
we are not strong enough. As we look at this passage, we're reminded we're not strong enough to fix ourselves. We're not good enough to get right with God, and we're not powerful enough to fix our world. There's only one way we'll ever be right with God, and then it's through Christ. You see, when, when we look at this passage, what we see is that when we are weak, He is strong. When we are guilty, He is innocent. And when we are condemned, He redeems us. When we look and we see Peter who is weak, we're reminded we are all weak. When we look at these hypocritical religious people, you know what I'm reminded of? I'm a hypocritical religious person. When I look at Pilate and I see a man who, who's just trying to get by, who's trying to pass the, the decision off for another day, I'm reminded of all the times I try to push the decision off for another day. But ultimately, when I look at this passage, I see myself in Barabbas. The man who is guilty, but is set free. I mean, can you imagine being Barabbas? He woke up that morning believing he was going to the cross. They already had his place fixed. His buddies that got busted with him are already up there. He's brought out assuming he's going to the cross. Assuming he's about to die and pay for the crimes that he had committed. But he doesn't go to the cross. He doesn't go and hang and die for what he had done. No, an innocent, innocent man took his place. Instead of walking up the hill and being hung on the cross and suffocating in his own blood for what he had done, he deserved every bit of it. He knew he was guilty. He knew he had done what they accused him of. But he didn't go to the cross. He was set free. No, the, the guilty one was set free. And the innocent one, Jesus, took his place. When I read this passage, I'm reminded that that's my cross. That's where I should have ended up. I should have ended up punished for my sins. I know I'm guilty. I know I'm weak. I know I'm a hypocrite. I know that I tried to pass the buck. I know all those things. But Jesus died in my place to set me free. And I want to encourage you this morning. I want, I, want, I want to encourage you to really think it through. Are you walking around thinking you're strong enough? Are you walking around thinking you can be good enough? That you can put the decision off long enough? Or have you come to the place where you say, Lord, I can't do it. You, only you can. Have you stopped trusting in yourself and started trusting in Him? If you haven't, would you, as we sing, will you pray with me? God, I thank you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your gospel. God, I thank you for the truth. God, that we are weak. God, that we fail. But then when we are weak, you are strong. God, when we completely and totally and utterly just blow it, God, you are there to stand in the gap. You've sent Jesus to die in our place. God, I pray that you would remind us of that this morning. God, that you would just put that back in our mind, put that truth back in our mind and in our hearts, that we would know who you are and that we would just trust in you and trust in the good news of Christ. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If y'all would stand with us. As you stand, if God is working in your heart this morning, would you come and pray with me? Just as I am.